Welcome back. Brand new LCP. And I want to give a huge shout out, man, to you guys who stay locked in, who stay tuned into the LCP podcast on all platforms. And again, if you love the podcast, do not keep it to yourself. A lot of you guys contribute via Cash App, via Venmo, or you guys can sign up to become monthly supporters by clicking the link in this episode description. You can sign up to become a monthly supporter for as low as $1 a month. So I'm going to clap it up, man, for everybody out there, man. Who goes above and beyond to support this independent platform, this LCP. But again, you guys can also support for free. You guys can share the podcast with your friends, your families, your co-workers, whoever. Because over here at the brand new LCP, I try my best, man, to give you guys entertaining content, but also content that you can bring back to your real life. That is also insightful. And last episode, man plus woman equals polygamy was great. Massive turnout, great feedback, man. And I hope that, you know, again, I'm not telling you guys to go out there and engage in a polygamous relationship, but I simply wanted to have the discussion because a lot of things that we don't agree with, we tend to knock or we tend to bash because it's something that we don't want in our lives. You guys out there, man, thank you guys for checking out that last episode, man. And and again, stay locked in. But on this episode right here, man, I want to take a a sharp turn and I want to have a serious episode because um, I've, I've kind of been waiting to talk about it. But last week there was a father and son killed in Brooklyn, you know, over noise complaints. And um, the suspect was also killed by police. And that's something that we see over and over again in our black and brown communities. It's something that we can't avoid. It's something that no matter how far we try to get away from that shit, for some reason, black on black crime is always, it's high. Why is that? And again, I've had conversations on this before in the podcast, and I believe that a lot of it is due to the male ego, how fragile the black male ego is, and how from a young age you're taught like ego and pride, and how sometimes instead of talking it out, instead of having healthy discussion when there is conflict, the main thing that people go to is, I'm going to beat your ass. Assault or murder and black male pride and black male ego is a major reason why the cemeteries are so full of young black men who have never and won't be ever. They will never reach their full potential. So, again, I want to take a serious turn this episode. I want to talk about that father and son killed. And could things have been done differently? Could that father and son still be here? Should someone have stepped in? So I want you guys to sit back and we're going to have a serious episode. Man, I got my clips queued up, man. Hey. And before I dive in, I know a lot of you guys heard it, but let's catch you guys up real quick with the news report. This is from Eyewitness News, ABC 7. And again, the suspect has already been found. He's dead. So I just want to let that be known because I believe in this clip, they say that the police are still looking for him, but he's been found. So let's catch you guys up real quick. This is John A. Show. This is the LCP. With some disturbing new video in the murders of a man and his son after a fight over noise turned deadly in Brooklyn. Yeah, police tonight are looking for a neighbor seen on that video firing the deadly shots. I'm going to reporter Crystal Cranmore is live in East Flatbush with our lead story tonight. Crystal. 
Listen, Bill, police have identified the suspect as 47-year-old Jason Pass. As police continue to look for him, a community, this community, is on edge tonight, demanding additional resources to fight the violence. Now, we know police were able to identify Pass thanks to surveillance video, too graphic to show in its entirety. 48 hours after surveillance video obtained by Eyewitness News captured the moment a man gunned down a father and son. We need love. We need love. And not hate. And not hate. Community leaders came together to denounce the violence outside the East Flatbush apartment complex. We're here to simply let the residents and the community members of this Flatbush Gardens community know we stand in unison. The shooting on Sunday night, the result of a years-long dispute over noise between two neighbors. Based on our investigation, we found that there were six previous 311 calls by the people in 3E, noise complaints. Authorities say Jason Pass, who lives in a Flatbush Gardens complex, shot 47-year-old Blodomy Maturin and 27-year-old Chinway Mood after going upstairs to confront the family. At one point, you see Maturin appear to hold a pair of scissors to pass his neck as his wife tries to pull him away. Seconds later, shots rang out as Maturin heads back to his apartment. I think he was trying to protect his family because uh, his life was being threatened, his family's life was being threatened. But overall, if you look at the video, this man had a gun. He had all intentions to kill. The suspect's sister, who did not want to be identified, says it was self-defense. My brother went up there in peace. He's humble. Tried to attack my brother with a scissor. The men hit us with passion. Matron's wife told Eyewitness News yesterday her husband is not a violent man. As the community looks to heal. We'll be bringing um, a de-escalation training to the, the management team. There's a renewed focus on bringing anti-violence and mental health services to the community. As for the suspect. Turn yourself in. I want to I stop it right there, man. But um, again, that is from Eyewitness News ABC7 because, oh man. Because one thing I'm I'm starting to dislike, like, I understand the need for community leaders. I get it. But every time some shit happens and they show up, you know, we're standing in unison. It reminds me of every time there's a school shooting and you see, you know, politicians and all these motherfuckers out here and governors, they jump on Twitter and say, you know, we are standing with the city of Texas. We are standing with Buffalo. We are standing with no at what point in time are we going to stop standing around and we going to try to actually do some shit? But the question is, can something be done? Because this is something that has been going on over and over and over again since since I've been born, especially where I grew up at. The Bronx, New York, Webster Avenue, 170. Like, there's so many times where you go downstairs and you got to run and leave the basketball court because gunshots go off. And that's something that we see a lot. And again, I want to start back because a lot of it goes back to us as kids, black men as, as children and things we are taught. Like when you get into altercations or even minor disagreements, like I remember having small disagreements in, in fucking elementary school. And I'm like, you know what, man, it's not that serious. My bad. And as a young black boy, when I say shit like that, oh, you scared, nigga. Oh, you pussy. Like, that's what you hear from from older teens. That's what you hear from kids your age. And that's even what I heard from, from some adults and who still feel that black men talking it out is pussy. And we're talking about the inner city where a lot of these crimes happen because once you reach a certain level of, you know, financial stability, yeah, 
a lot of people are more inclined to talk it out. But we're talking about the inner city. Anybody, especially a black man, if you grew up in the hood, you grew up in the quote unquote in the ghettos. You know that if you try to talk some shit out in the hood, it's about a nine out of ten percent chance you're going to get called pussy. You're going to get called soft. You're going to get called weak for talking the shit out or for not acting physically or violently when quote unquote there is disrespect. A lot of motherfuckers don't fight no more. Y'all remember the days where you could be outside, you get into a fucking disagreement and y'all could just go fight, come back, shake hands. And next thing y'all know, next week, y'all friends, y'all playing basketball, y'all playing PlayStation one. It like shit was different. Motherfuckers don't fight no more. You get into a fucking argument with somebody over the fucking, the color of the sky. One nigga, what? Not nigga, nigga shit blue. Not the shit red. Pop, pop, pop. Gunshots go off. Like that's the, that's, that's the times we live in. But it's nothing new. And that's why I got a clip pulled up where a news, this is about maybe 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, where it was the news station. They did a whole segment on black on black crime. Now, I know now you can't do that shit because if a if ABC7 or fucking Atlanta News did a clip and it's, hey, black on black crime part one, like the backlash that they would get on the shade room on all these these fucking online platforms It's racist Why would you do black on black crime Even black folks hate when you talk about black on black crime Because that means you gotta address What's in front of us And one thing black folks don't like Is when you when you get called out on some shit I know how much black on black crime Affects moms, dads Brothers, sisters, aunties Uncles The amount of funerals You know how many times I came home from school And I see a fucking R.I.P. Chantel, she was 17, or R.I.P., you know, Charles, R.I.P., Chris, R.I.P., Sean. Motherfuckers be 16, 15, 18, some even 14 fucking years old. So if y'all telling me black on black crime is not heartbreaking, it's not tough to deal with, and that it's not a problem, go take your stupid ass somewhere else, boo bitch. So I want to play for you guys this. It's a it's a maybe about a five to six minute segment, but listen to it. A lot of it might be heartfelt, a lot of it might be emotional. But I think we need this, man. I think we gotta really address this issue because I know if you are if you don't live in these neighborhoods or if you've never been a part of the quote unquote the inner city the ghetto, I wanna clap it up, man, because if you was blessed enough to grow up in the suburbs or somewhere that was safe, then you might honestly be oblivious to what's what goes on in the inner city and how fearful it is and how there's a lot of hard work in men and women in the hood too. So I'm going to make sure I say that because the, the, the inner city, the ghetto is not full of motherfuckers out there who want to do wrong. Like just sometimes that's just, that's simply all you can afford. Like my mom was a hardworking ass woman, single mom, three kids. And we lived in the ghetto. Because as a single mom, that's all she can afford. And she went to work every fucking day, came straight home. So many people in that in that in that that housing development, in those projects, went to work, came home, great, amazing, upstanding citizens. But a lot of times you are terrorized by the people in your community, in your neighborhood, who don't have those same positive intentions. And when they don't, Sometimes you are a victim of crime, 
a victim of convenient circumstance, as people like to say it, or it simply might be bad luck. But let's dive into this news story. This is a black on black crime part one. I want you guys to pay attention, listen, turn your volumes up. Hey, man, we going. We going real. We, we having a serious conversation, man. It's the LCP. Brand new LCP. Make sure you guys listen and also spread the word, man. Black crime. You can find it in almost any major city like Chicago, New York, or LA. But Chattanooga is nowhere near the size, nor has the population of those cities. Yet violent crimes by African Americans against each other in Chattanooga, it's just as bad. In part one of his special report, Eric Avenier takes a deep look into black on black crime and its effect on the African American community. He joins us live in the studio to explain. Eric. Well, as journalists, it's our job to report what's happening in our community. And unfortunately, we find ourselves covering black-on-black violence almost every other day. Now, before we begin, we, you need to know that in this report you're about, we're about to show you, it is very raw and emotional with language that some viewers may find offensive. Crime scenes like this one play out almost every week in Chattanooga. And the story is usually the same disagreement between two black men or a group of African-Americans that leads to violence. Some of the victims live, others die. No one knows this better than Celeste Woods. You see, nine years ago, her son Demond was shot to death in this East Chattanooga neighborhood. She says she'll never forget that horrible night. And the next thing I know, I was getting a phone call and said, Demond has been shot. And could you come? And this is the area that I came to out here. And when I came, there he was, the rope was taped around and he was lying face down in the street. To add insult to injury, Demond died on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day most Americans celebrate a man who stood for nonviolence, a day that carries more meaning for Woods. It carries a very strong meaning, you know, that we need to get out and try to march and try to tell somebody, you know, it's not right. It's not right. The shooting death of her son was the result of an earlier altercation with this man, Alex Smith, whom police later arrested and charged with murder. Current gang task force coordinator, Boyd Patterson, prosecuted Smith. That particular case ended with a plea of guilty to manslaughter and a sentencing hearing. So that's what happened. He could have faced, it was between six and 10 years, but uh, after the sentencing hearing, he was given six years. Authorities say much of the violence playing out is gang-related. According to a recent study, blacks make up 89% of the gangs in Chattanooga, followed by whites at 10.5%. And the number of gang-related crimes rose from 127 in 2007 to 500 in 2011. Fred Hauser is the community outreach coordinator for the gang task force. He describes the level of black-on-black violence as an epidemic. And we're seeing so many black uh, children and uh, mid-age, uh, mid-age uh, black males and older ones that are being uh, uh, murdered as a result to, uh, to gang violence and other kind of violence. So why are we seeing more violence within the black community? I want to pause it as well before they get to that point because I want to mention that a lot of the black on black crime is, is petty. It's petty crime. Like half of the shit that that happens when a like when a black youth dies, when a black man dies, it's something that can easily be resolved if they sit the fuck down and talk. But let's get back in unity. And how does a disagreement quickly escalate to the need to attack or shoot someone? 
For answers to those questions, we turn to a man who has ties to a local gang. Now in full disclosure for his protection and the protection of his family, we agreed to alter his voice and not show his face. I'm guilty by association, you know what I'm saying? I ain't on no hood, I ain't on no set, but you know what I'm saying? The people that I hang around, you know what I'm saying? Who I, you know what I'm saying, kick it with, be my people, you know what I'm saying? They're my folk, me and my crook niggas, you know what I'm saying? That's how we rock it, so it is what it is. He says the violence has more to do with personal egos and credibility. Nowadays, you got to go through more to prove yourself as a man and stand your ground as a man. So a lot of the times, you know, it get carried away real quick, and that's how a lot of this violence and the gunplay come in about. He says some neighborhoods are war zones, and during a time of war, people get killed. All been standing in the coastline of me and you and seen a nigga get shot in the face. So, you know what I'm saying, it's crucial out here. He also wanted to make it clear to young children to do something with their lives, to become a part of the solution and not perpetuate the problem. Living this gangbanger's lifestyle and the things that come with it, it ain't gonna get you too far and it ain't gonna get you established in life the way you need to be. Now you've just heard how bad the violence is playing out in the streets of Chattanooga. Tomorrow night in part two of this special report, we'll be discussing possible solutions that some say could curb the amount of black on black violence we report on a daily basis. Live in the studio. I want to clap it up right now for part one. Like I was just saying, man, a lot of those crimes, a lot of these deaths, a lot of these murders, these crimes happen over something so fucking small. Let me tell you guys a quick little story. So last year, right, I think I might have mentioned this slightly before where my son was going to a school towards like downtown Atlanta-ish near like Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And like once you get in like the back streets over there, you go back decades when you go over there. Like the area just feels like it's 1940, run down buildings, beat up fucking houses. It's like it's nothing but black folks back there. And the shit look bad. So I'm driving past this area to get to my son and... You know, I look up the street, I see police cars, I see shit taped off. I'm like, oh, fuck. So traffic got slower. So the police are letting us go by slowly. So as we get, well, as I get to the area where they have the shit roped off and the police is at, I see a man's body hanging out the car. And based on, you know, the crime scene investigators and all the motherfuckers that's there, I see the detectives and all the higher ups, they there. So I, I assume he was dead. But his body was hanging out the car. And I remember I drove by. I was so fucking depressed about seeing that shit, man. Because it just took me back to growing up in the inner city, growing up in the projects. And you see things that you feel like you're not supposed to see, especially amongst your people. And seeing that man's body slumped out the car, like, it was like outside the cleaners or some shit. And I was like, damn, man. Like, somebody somewhere right now is going to mourn this dad, this son, this cousin, this uncle. And I guarantee it was over some petty shit. So I put him into a note. I said, you know what? When I pick up my son and I get home, I'm going to turn the news on. And when I turned the news on, guess what? It was over some petty shit. So I turned the news on, uh, you know, played the clip. I listened to the story. And the man who ended up being shot dead outside the laundromat, the cleaners, you know, he ended up getting into an argument with somebody. That person left. Left. Got a gun, came back, shot him dead. And that's half the issue. And now every time you mention black on black crime, people say, well, you know, when it's black on black crime, people, people kill people that are close to them. So if, if black men or black women live in, in a community where it's just black folks around, 
then that's what's going to happen because people kill people in the proximity of them. Get the fuck out of here, man. I don't give a fuck if you live next to fucking blacks, Asians, Latinos. Shouldn't nobody kill each other? Shouldn't nobody play God because of an argument? Like, I've got into arguments in my life. Never did I think, you know what? That was a bad argument. I'm going to go get a gun and I'm going to take this person off the earth. Away from their loved ones, their families. Like, that is an evil mentality that I simply, I don't want to get to. If I get to that place to where if I have an argument or if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I want to go get a gun, come back, and take this person off earth for a lifetime. Like, that is a fucking, oof. Oh, my God. That's a scary mentality that I simply do not want to get to. But let me see if I get part two queued up so we can, we can start focusing on and you guys can hear about some of the solutions that may be possible. So that two men can have a disagreement over loud noise at an apartment complex and come to a resolution that doesn't involve one man shooting a man in point blank range, walking up, shooting him in the head, shooting his son in the head as his son tries to escape. We got to find a way to combat this. Now, I know when a black man talks about about black-on-black crime or a black person in general, he often gets called a coon, a black hater, because how dare you mention black-on-black crime? Only mention things that are racist-related. Only mention things when a white folks does us wrong. Don't you dare mention black on black crime, but fuck that. Y'all know what time it is. Brand new LCP. Let's get black on black part two queued up, man. And hope you guys focus on some of the solutions and even apply some of them in your regular everyday life. If you have evil matching evil, something gonna go bad. Black on black crime part two. Well, is there a solution to the problem of black-on-black crime in Chattanooga? Last night, we aired part one of an in-depth report on that problem. Well, tonight, Eric Avenue follows up on that piece with part two. He joins us live in the studio with a special report you'll see only on News 12. Eric? Black-on-black crime in Chattanooga, hurting the African-American community. Well, tonight, we're going in a different direction by discussing possible solutions to those problems. Now, before we begin, we want to remind you that this report is very raw and emotional with some language that some viewers might find offensive. When it comes to black-on-black crime in Chattanooga, Gang Task Force Community Outreach Coordinator Fred Hauser has seen it all. Hauser believes the problems unfolding on the streets don't start on the streets, but rather at home where offenders come from broken families with little or no guidance. People often point back to the family. Well, uh, when I was coming up, it was a primary family, the mother and father, but it was also everybody in the neighborhood that represents the family. That structure. I want to pause that as well. Because that is a great point. Because, you know, going back to when my grandmother was younger, going back to when my mom was younger, they used to always talk about family and how a lot of the neighbors were, were a part of the community to where I remember my grandma told the story. She said um, when she was a when she was a teenager, you know, her mom was at work. Her dad was at work and she went outside and she was doing shit she wasn't supposed to be doing. And she said she used to get grabbed up by neighbors like, hey, bitch, like they ain't call her bitch, you know, back in 1935. But she said like neighbors, friends, 
other people's parents looked out and they were allowed to spank you or to discipline you if you was acting out of character and the parents weren't around. I want to clap it up for the old ways of parenting. But you know, now times change to a lot of times you can't even do that. You can't do that because especially when you look at the sensitive culture and how it goes back to what I said, the pride and the ego. Because that's when it comes in, hey, don't touch my child. Because if you go back to even even how schools used to be back in the day to where you can get spanked in school. They'll pull your pants down, grab the paddleboard, and they'll spank the shit out that ass in school. I mean, they would, you'll go home with a red ass. Oh, my God. For having the nerve to act up in school, talk back to the teacher. But now you can't even do that. You can't even damn near raise your voice. To the kids in school. Because everybody got a phone. You go viral. Oh my God. Who is this teacher talking to kids like this? Not knowing how them kids was talking to you. So everything now is kind of limited due to how sensitive the world is. So it makes it tough to even discipline or call out somebody else's kid. But that's where, as this gentleman is about to get into, the community and how it used to be versus how it is now you know, has uh, has broken down. Hauser also says younger African-Americans are part of a technologically advanced culture where they have access to violence on TV, Internet, and video games, something he believes is being rehashed on the streets. You can't change the culture, but you can change the, the behavior of those that are in the culture, and it's going to require a village to be able to, uh, to do that. Nina Ventra is a program specialist for the gang task force. When it comes to the constant violence in Chattanooga's black communities, she has firsthand knowledge of how it impacts entire families. They're making decisions that impact themselves, impact their families, impacting their children who have no say in the matter. This, and that, that's probably the most painful. But it's also impacting like their parents and grandparents who, when they're elderly, can't, they don't have the same power that they used to have, you know. And when you're seeing those two ends of the spectrum, the, the older and the younger, impacted by young adults to mid-level adults. It's heartbreaking. And age does play a role. That was confirmed by a man who admits to being gang associated. For his protection and the protection of his family, we agreed to hide his face and alter his voice. It's a um a, a, a myth that, you know, the older you get in, in being in the game, you know what I'm saying, the more power and respect you got. It ain't about that no more, you know what I'm saying? It's about the nigga who out here putting in the most work, you know what I'm saying? Nigga who pistol play heavy, you know what I'm saying? Nigga who got a name for itself. So this young nigga be 16, 17 years old and be telling 30, 40 year old grown men what to do. From her experience of dealing with offenders, Ventra says that at some point, the roller coaster ride of being in and out of jail, going to court, and the overall disruption to their lives eventually breaks down. You hit 30, you hit 35, and you're old, you're tired, and you have nothing, and you're hustling faster and harder just to survive. And that's when people start to break down and realize, I have to change. This is not going to work for me. I can't keep this up. People say, why didn't you touch drugs? Why didn't you get involved in games? Everyone we talked to agreed that part of the solution is education, especially when dealing with youngsters who think there's no other way to live. Get as much education as you possibly can, man, by any means necessary. Soak up everything that this world is willing to give you to learn, man, and, you know, keep a positive, productive attitude towards life. Gang banging, man, that ain't cool, that ain't the life, that ain't what's up. Another solution is jobs. 
Much of the violence on the street is about money and how to get it. The situation is much worse when offenders are released from prison and can't get hired because of multiple felonies on their record. So they revert back to a life of violent crimes. If you have a history of, of criminal offenses, particularly violent crimes, employers are, are afraid to talk to you. They're afraid you're going to re-offend. You need to prove yourself even more so. And one way of doing that is by taking advantage of prison work programs to gain work experience and even a character reference for potential employers. So in review, crime experts and analysts say black-on-black -black crime in Chattanooga can't be totally prevented, but there are ways to cut down on the number of cases each week. Solutions include a better family structure, education, and jobs. Now, we want to hear from you about this issue. Go to our Facebook page and leave a comment. There you will be able to see both parts of this special report. Again, we will air some of those comments later tonight on News 12 at 11. I want to clap it up, man. That was part one and part two of Black on Black Crime now on YouTube, man. I don't know why, but they're like, th these fucking videos only got about six, seven thousand views. WDEF News 12. Again, I want to clap it up one more time for the great reporting, man, because I don't know how, as black people, we would have survived being slaves. Especially now, I'm talking about it like if the if black folks with with our mentalities and and, and um, our ways of culture was to go back to being slaves now, none of us would be free because we'll all be together picking cotton and shit, and we'll kill each other because of pride, because of ego, because somebody would be mad that the that the fucking white slave owner gave gave Chad a bigger bed than Tyrone. They'll fight over the bed. They'll kill each other over the bed. Or somebody picked more cotton. Now they bragging about, oh, I picked more cotton than you. Now they somebody getting killed on the fucking slave fields. That's why I said, man, if 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 we was to go back now to how it used to be back in the 1700s, 1800s, during like the, the peaks of slavery and all that other shit, we wouldn't survive. Harriet Tubman wouldn't even get to the fucking Underground Railroad. If she was carrying a lot of the black folks and the mentalities that we have now. Harriet Tubman probably would have got killed on the first fucking journey to the Underground Railroad. Because we wouldn't listen. Pride and ego would kick in. Well, I ain't following you now. Fuck out of here. I know what I'm doing. Fuck out of here. Like, like, can you imagine that shit? Harriet Tubman trying to get your ass free and motherfuckers is fighting over whose Jordans look better. Over who got the better t-shirt. And Harriet Tubman is trying to get your ass to the freedom land. Come on, nigga. Oh, my God. That's why I said now, man, it, like, it just seemed as if, you know, our, our ancestors, the previous generation of black people, of people who fought for civil rights, who marched for civil rights, who fought to get us the freedoms that we have now. I know that this was not their plan. This was not the goal they had for us as they was doing that. This was not the life that MLK expected for us, the life that Malcolm X, the life that my grandma, the life that, you know, her family, my ancestors fought for as they tried to get us free, as they tried to get us more job opportunities so that we can see LeBron James become a billionaire, so that we can see Jay-Z become a billionaire, Kanye, all these black athletes taking over sports. My grandma used to tell me when she used to watch sports back in the day, it wasn't no black motherfuckers playing sports. And if you was playing sports, you weren't making a lot of money. Or the opportunities that you had wasn't available. 
Now you see damn near every single sport, the superstars are black. The high-paid athletes are black. These are things that the previous generation fought for, for equality, for civil rights. You would have never saw LeBron James as the face of the league in 1950, 19... You wouldn't have seen it. When I look at black-on-black crime and how much we kill each other, how much we just spew negative energy towards people who look like us, this was not the goal. And that's, and that's what the, um, the focus of this episode was because I just want to... I wanted to show that a lot of times our pride, our ego, our mentalities, the way we look at people who look like us, it's often a deadly recipe. And it's a major reason why so many cemeteries are full to where sometimes, man, like you guys who follow me on IG, which is Lunchroom Chatterpod, you know, sometimes I jog through a cemetery that's not far from where I live. And sometimes when I jog through and you know, I see funerals going on. And then as I get closer and I see, you know how like sometimes you could see like the like like the picture of the person that was deceased and and shit like that. And sometimes I look and I see the age. It'd be like 15, 16. And it's times I've I've been jogging and I've seen that. And I and I keep a mental note of the name of the person. And sometimes I go home and I Google the name, like just to see if like a news story pop up or Something like that. And it's it's been multiple times where I've Googled it and it say, hey, 15-year-old, you know, so-and-so was was gunned down last week due to a dispute. And shit, like, it makes me sad. I know now we have been, been desensitized to crime because every time you open your phone, it's, it's sex, death, sex, death, sex, death, sex, death. My mind don't go that way. So I hope that this episode has at least provided some insight and at least made you think a little bit so that we can find some type of way to minimize the amount of black or black crime, the black deaths, the senseless murders so that we can all, well, I know it's not going to affect us all because you can't fully eliminate black on black crime, but so that many of us, including our kids, you know, our grandkids can live a long, full, productive life. You know, God forbid any accidents or things that are out of our control. I want to grow old. I want my son to grow old and I want all you guys and all your kids, your grandkids to live a long, fulfilling life to 80, 85, 90, 95 years old. I don't want to open up my Instagram one day and I see RIP to one of you guys. You guys were gunned down due to a a senseless dispute or, you know, a, a random crime. It's not what I want to see. So again, man, you guys who Stay showing love, stay showing support. Again, my cash app is dollar sign NYC story 718. My Venmo is Lunchroom Chatter Pod. Make sure you guys spread the word about the Lunchroom Chatter Podcast. And hey, stay locked in. Always support, baby. Brand new LCP.